So what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be faithful? I guess in a lot of ways it matters who you ask. If you read the uh, article, the excerpt from the book that's in your bulletin this morning, it, it, it says, you know, doing the right job the right way. It doesn't do you any good to do the wrong job, even if you do it right. Uh, other, other people might say it's being trustworthy. Others might say being faithful is being reliable, being someone that you can count on. Much, much more could be said for a follower of Jesus. Uh, if you're here today and you're not a follower, we're, we're glad that you're here. You're most welcome among us this morning. But for a follower of Jesus, we're all of those things and we leave the results of our faithfulness up to God. For a follower of Jesus, it's also doing our best with God's help to live according to the word of God and taking the gifts that God has given to us and, and using them and, and, and growing them and developing them and then leaving the results up to God. Now, here's a fact. It's really a true fact. You don't argue with me because this one is I'm going to stand firm on this one. If, if you're a follower of Jesus, meaning you've turned to God and put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift or gifts from the Lord. That is a fact. All kinds of different gifts. You might not know what your gift is. Ask people who know you well. Get involved somewhere, and, and eventually people will be able to tell you what it is, or you'll be able to spot it. And, and it's important how we use the gift or gifts that God has given us, and whether we use the gift that, or gifts that God has given us. Now today, when you ask most people how they're doing, we'll see how you guys do compared to the last service on this question. When you ask most people how they're doing, what's their answer? Oh, they're speaking in tongues now all of a sudden. Okay. <laughs> a bunch of people in the last service said, fine. Most people I know say, how are you doing? And they go, busy. Busy. That, that's the standard answer. And then you ask people, well, how's your faith doing? A lot of them go, I'm just waiting on the Lord. So I'm like, okay, you're busy in life, but you're just waiting on the Lord. Now, if you actually combine busyness with waiting on God and you keep that in proper perspective, I actually think that if they're executed upon properly, those both can be great answers. Put them together, and you actually might even have a home run. But if we're not careful, and we get one out of whack, we're too busy, and that for the God, we're in trouble, or we're just waiting on the Lord, and we're, we're doing nothing, then we're uh, we're going to be in trouble as well, and we're going to miss a, a lot of opportunities. Now, just to recap, we're in the last week of Jesus' life before the cross and the resurrection. He's in Jerusalem. He's already made the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. He went to the temple. He was preaching to the people. He was debating with the religious leaders. And now he's walking away from the temple. And in chapter 24 and 25, he's doing a private teaching uh, to his disciples about his second coming. We said last week they didn't even understand the first coming. And he's teaching them about the second coming. And he's talking about... Uh, how a committed follower of Jesus Christ should go about waiting for Jesus. Two things very important there. Number one, waiting on God is not doing nothing. Waiting on God is while we, what we are doing while we're waiting for him to make his move. And number two, 
You're saying, when's Jesus coming? I don't know. Well, I do, I do know right on time. But apart from that, we're one week closer than we were last week, right? So that's how quick time is going by. Last week, Jesus taught us the parable of the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins. And five of them, half of them thought, hey, you know, being faithful was easy. They found out that it's not quite as easy as you think it is. This week, we're going to come across three different men, and one of them is going to be called a wicked servant, and he thinks that being faithful is much harder than it actually is. So on both counts, they're wrong. Last week was about being ready while we are waiting. This week is is how to be ready while we are working. Now, it's important to remember that a follower of Jesus looks forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ while they serve the kingdom of God. It's important tension again to keep, because if you don't keep it right, we'll get out of of balance. That's because a saving faith, what we mean by saving is the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. A saving faith is a waiting faith, but... A saving faith is also a serving faith. And so the title of our message is today, Busy While Waiting for Jesus. Busy While Waiting for Jesus. So let's jump in. Verse 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this. For the kingdom of heaven, then disciples are his learners and followers, probably the apostles are all there. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man. Now this man is Jesus. He's talking about himself. Traveling to a far country. He's going to die. He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to ascend into heaven. And he's going to, heaven is the far country. So traveling to a far country who called his own servants. Now, who are his servants? Well, that would be us. That would be anybody who's put their trust in Jesus. And delivered his goods to them. Another version says this, that he entrusted to them his property. Another version says he entrusted to them his wealth. We might say He handed over the keys to the business. He said, I'm going to be gone for a while, and I'm handing over the keys to the business, and and I want you to be responsible. Verse 15, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Now, some of your versions may may say five bags of gold, two bags of gold, and one bag of gold. A talent, we think of a talent as something you're good at. We'll be talking a lot about that today. But, but in those days, a talent was a unit of weight. And so usually it was applied to gold, silver, or copper, most commonly silver. And notice the key statement here. He, he, gave, one, he gave one five, another one two, another one one, uh, to each according to his own ability. You might want to underline that in your Bible to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Just like last week, he's gone. He's going to take off. Remember last week he took off, the, and, the, and the bridegroom took off, and the bridesmaids didn't know when he was going to come back, and boom, all the one day, one day, all of a sudden one day he shows up. Now, in the ancient world, many servants, many were slaves, were often like business partners of the owner. And so a lot of times these guys were very, very wealthy. They had a lot of different pieces of property. So, and so servants, slaves, would operate this, these properties for them. They would even have the power of attorney. 
They would even be able to make certain high level within limitations, business decisions for them. And here he leaves and he trusts these guys with a lot of money and a lot of responsibility. Now, many Bible scholars debate how much a talent was worth or in in today's dollars. And so probably the most common comes out to this. Um, 6,000 denarii, okay, was, was a, a day's wage, okay? At one, and one talent was worth 6,000 denarii. That means that one talent would be worth 20 years of wages. So he gave one guy, for easy math, let's just take $50,000 a year. Some of you are like, this is New Jersey, Pastor Jim. We're just using easy math, okay? So we'll just say that, 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 that a talent is worth $1 million. That means that one servant got $5 million, Another servant got $2 million, and a third servant got $1 million. And again, we can debate the money, but the idea is it's a lot of money and it's a lot of responsibility. So no matter what the value is, we have to acknowledge this. The master trusted his servants with a large responsibility while he was gone, while he was not there, while the boss was not looking. And that's the same thing Jesus has done with us. He's left, and he left the responsibility to the apostles, who left the responsibility to the church. So Jesus is gone. He's left the responsibility to us, and we are supposed to do something with with what he has left to us. Now, it's very interesting that no instructions are given uh, what to do with the money. Perhaps they had watched him work over the years, and they thought, well, we know this is how he does business. We know this is how he gets things done. And so we've, we've learned by watching. Some of us are very good at, at learning by observing. If you have that gift, it's a great gift to have. And so they're observational learners. He wants them to be observational learners, and so they watched him. Um, but, and the assumption is when he hands them the money, there will be some responsibility. There will be some responsibility. Again, he doesn't give them instructions. In a sense, he's probably thinking, well, you've watched me, and I want, you to, I want you to figure it out. I want you to figure out how to use the money effectively. I want you to use, figure out how to, how to grow it. And notice here it says that Jesus gives out the amounts to each according to his own ability. Some of your versions say uh, capacity. So each person is given this ability to their own capacity. Who gives us our abilities? God. Who gives us our capacity? God. That makes it clear that God does not expect the same abilities in all of us. There's just some things that you can do that other people can't do. (laughs) People come in the church here, they go, you know, Pastor Jim, man, when we have people come like the inspectors come in and stuff like that from the town, stuff like that, the first thing they always look at me, they go, man, this place is clean. I go, not me. I didn't do it. I mean, I'm the guy who makes the bed. And my wife goes, you couldn't even make the bed. I go, I did. (laughs) 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 And so, so, so some of us can't do things. We have guys in the congregation here who can fix stuff there. We call them the handy men and the handy women. I'm the unhandy man. Right? You know, I used to say in the business world, everything I touch turned to gold. In the ministry world, everything I touch breaks. And so, so there's things that we are all good at and we're not good at. And, and we can't all have the same abilities and the 
book of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talking about gifts. He said, it's not going to do us any good if everybody is a foot. It's not going to do us everybody is a hand. We all have to be different at things. And so it's not, God doesn't expect us to have the same abilities, but he does expect that we all must be faithful with what we have been given. You see, it's not the gift that you have. It's not the amount that you've been given. It's how diligent you are with it. It's how faithful you are with it. That's what really matters. I mean, it breaks my heart over the years how many gifted people I have seen that don't use their gifts and have all the talent in the world and have accomplished so little in their lives. Didn't have the drive, didn't have the ambition. Accomplished little for the kingdom or accomplished little in what their hopes and their, and their dreams were. Others coast on their gifts. They, they, they barely use them and, and they don't develop them. If you don't develop them, they will eventually die out. I remember I was having lunch with my pastor one time when shortly before I came up here, and he said to me, tell me about your call to the ministry. And I said, um, well, I became a Christian about 15 years ago and 16 years ago, and I knew early on that God had called me to be a preacher, and people were telling me that all along. And, and, and even when I would ever get opportunities to speak in front of crowds, people would say, boy, that you, God has really gifted you for that. You really you need to get out of the business world. And I was doing very well in the, in the business world. And, and, and so he said, you know, that's rare that somebody would wait 15 years and God would not take the gift from them. He said, how did, you, how did you keep it alive? How did you keep doing it? And I said, well, um, I, you know, I, I served in the church. I, I tried to read the Bible cover to cover every year. And then I usually spend one to two hours um, a, night, a day, morning and night, reading really solid, good theological books. And he was like, yeah, that would do it. <laughs> that would do it. Because if you're, not, if you're not utilizing your gifts, if you're not developing them, eventually they're going to uh, dwindle. Now, some of you might say, well, that's not really true. Uh, well, you know, maybe you played sports in, in school, and then you haven't played it in a while, and then you try to play it again. And the next thing you know, they're calling you an old man. <laughs> And you're like, oh, man, <laughs> right, right? And, and so, and so it, it will definitely happen. You know, I was reading the book of Hebrews this week, and Hebrews 2.1, the writer says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. What's, what have we heard? The truth of the word of God, lest we drift away. I mean, it's so easy to drift, isn't it? Do you, ever, do you ever see people who are down at the ocean and they're, and they're floating out and the lifeguard's blowing the whistle and they're just floating away and they're floating away and, and they don't even hear the whistle and the lifeguards go out and get them and they're like, I didn't even realize that we, I drifted that far. It's, it's very easy to have happen. Hebrews 6.12, the writer encouraging the Bible readers to stay at it until the end and, and, and he says this, that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience, some versions say perseverance, inherit the promises. So since it's, God, since it's God who is the one who gives us this responsibility, the, the, the talent or, the, or the whatever responsibility he gives to you, uh, don't get discouraged over what you don't have. 
don't get discouraged over the gift that, that, that God has given to you. And, and don't try to be something that you're not. I want to say something that I think is so incredibly important for us to remember as we go through life, as we, go, as we, as we live the Christian life, as we, as we live in church life, as we live uh, in the world, okay? Um, when it comes to giftedness, and, and when it comes to anything, really, diversity does not equal inferiority. Do, do we really understand that? Diversity does not equal inferiority. There's, there's a couple reasons. You know, some of you are like, Pastor Jim, you're always making fun of yourself. I just don't like making fun of other people because then I think, oh, that might be them and that might be them. It's not my style. So I, I use self-deprecating humor. And, and so why, 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 don't, why do I do that? Uh, two reasons. Number one, uh, when I, if I ever do something really stupid, I, all you'll be like, well, he told us he was an idiot. Why are we surprised? <laughs> but, but the second one, and, and, and really the reason is, I don't want you to think that, the, that the, the fact that God, I guess, gave me the teaching gift doesn't mean that, that anyone here is inferior to me. I don't want anyone to ever think that I'm superior in any way. We sit under the word of God. That's why we're up here with the Bible. We are all under it. I just happen to be standing behind it. And trust me, I've been behind this passage all week, underneath this passage all week. I'm just just delivering to you what I can fit in in the four and a half hours we have here this morning to try try and figure out what it is that that I'm supposed supposed to be saying to you. And so, and so I don't want you to think that that means that you're inferior. Um, you see, when we operate out of our gifts, or when we're in over our head, other people will suffer. And, and, and also, uh, the work of the gospel will suffer. And we ourselves will suffer. Fair to say, while a talent is money, it could be whatever we think of as some gift or ability. It could be whatever God has given to you to use and to develop. Uh, The old English preacher, Bishop J.C. Ryle, said this, that a a talent is anything which we um, have that may glorify God. That's how we're supposed to think of this talent here. and, and spiritual gifts, really, we have to remember, are from God, but they're for God. They're from God, and they're for God. And, and since the gifts that you have are from God, it is so silly. It really is. It is so silly to compare them to other people's gifts. God gave you a gift that is unique to you, that has wired the way he's wired you. And and it's really, you know, you don't need to compare yourself to other people because what happens when you get in that comparison trap? You either get proud or you are better than them or you start to feel that you're inferior. You know, be the person God has made you to be. Develop those gifts and, you know, it's always important to remember that when it comes to so many different things. And I can tell you how many married couples I've had to say this to. And it's, it's not that something's better or worse. It's just different. And so it's one thing's not better. One thing's not worse. It, it's, just, it's just different. But let's not be so quick to say this doesn't include our wise use of money for the kingdom of God. Because it most certainly does. Some of you are very, very good 
at making money. That's a gift that some people have. That that they're very they're very good at it, you know. And so and so that don't don't exclude that at all. In other words, being prepared for the second coming of Jesus, being prepared for our own death, includes preparation. Includes being very intentional, being very intentional about your life, and 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 to be intentionally productive for the kingdom of God with the gift that God has given to you. (laughs) Loved ones, your service to the kingdom of God is important. I want to let that sit for a second. And if you weren't listening, I want to say it again. Your service for the kingdom of God is important. It's important. Can God do it without us? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean it's not important. So we're all responsible to plan and to use and develop our gifts to advance the kingdom. It's interesting, we've been going through Matthew 24 and 25. If you haven't been with us, these are, these are uh, prophecies of Jesus' second coming. And I know all the prophecy buffs that just want to talk about, you know, you know when's he coming, when's he coming? Well, right on time, you know that, I told you already. Um, so, and and, and they, they haven't got their prophecy fix, and they're probably going on YouTube and checking everything out, so more guys who are more want to talk about all that kind of stuff. But for me personally, as we have been going through these two chapters, I've really determined or, or sensed at least God saying to me, Jim, prophecy I want to use in your life to stir up godliness. That's really what I want to stir up in your life. I want to, I want to stir up more effective service. I want to stir up more effective evangelism. I mean, some people are running around all the time going, oh, the Lord's coming back any minute. This world is doomed. He's coming back any minute. Okay, that's fine. If that's what you think, that's fine, man. You should be running around telling everybody about Jesus then. If you really believe that, I mean, we should be bailing you out of jail every day. I mean, it should be like, Jim, would you shut this person up, man? Really? Like, every place they go. I mean, they walk into the mall. Hey, the end's coming. Oh, get in the car. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, 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 but here's the thing, that, that God wants us to use all of our stuff, all of our gifts, with the best effort we have to serve the king and the kingdom. Our attitude and our effort means everything. It totally means everything in the way we serve God. Listen, that's why I said at the beginning, we do our best with God's help and we leave the results to God because it's all his thing anyway. Verse 16, then he who had received five talents went, some of your versions say at once, and traded with them. Another version says, put the talents to work and made five talents. So he got five talents. He had the gift of making more money. Some people are great at that. And, and he went out and he made five more. It's good. We love that guy, right? If that's you, come work for me, right? I love that guy. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. So he was faithful. He was diligent too. But, always when you read your Bible, that word but, you always circle it, right? Contrast, but... Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. 
But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So what is he doing? He's playing it safe. He's playing it safe. No risk. No risk. And I think you're going to see in a little bit that God wants his people to take risks. Not risky behavior. Godly, calculated risks. So the first two servants, they felt the weight of the responsibility to faithfully serve until the Lord, until the master returned. They were busy with his business. They were not busy about their business. Now, that doesn't mean maybe they were dads. They didn't call their wives and say, oh, I have to sleep you know, at the job until, until the Lord Jesus comes home. And this guy's ridiculous, these expectations. No, they still did family life. They still did the stuff that they had to do. But when they were on the job, when they had their life planned out, they were about the Lord's business. Their attitude was, listen, just because he's gone, we can't sit and do nothing. Remember we said last week, we can't be like the junior high boys when the teacher goes, I want everybody to sit still until I come back. And then you wonder why they're hanging from the chandeliers and the light things when they come back. That's just not reality. But they're like, we're not going to be like that. We're not going to sit and do nothing. We are not going to sit when the boss is not looking at our cubicle and spend our time on social media. Let's bring it in today's world. I'm not going to spend my time at work when I'm being paid to work to be doing my own stuff on the internet. There's an old-fashioned word for that. It's called stealing. It's called stealing. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to do that. And so I and, and I love that the second guy who got less wasn't jealous. He wasn't like, five for him and only two for me. Is that what he thinks of me? No, what did he do? He rolled up his sleeves and he got to work. Put his head down and he was at it. They both knew their master was away, and the call of all followers of Jesus is to work, to enlarge, and better, and serve the king and the kingdom while he is away. We, we have an expression we use about guys like this. They get it. They get it. You see, their responsibility, it was their responsibility and diligence with what they were given that led to their effectiveness. If they did nothing with it, nothing would have changed. But they were diligent and they were responsible. Their love for the Lord, their love for their master was shown in their faithfulness and their desire to be a part of his mission. My dear friends, I sincerely want this area of New Jersey to be better because we're here. Even if people can't stand our message, because there will be some who will hear it and will believe. And so, so we're going to have to take some risks. These guys wanted to be part of the, the master's mission. They wanted to build the kingdom. But the third guy didn't seem to really care. He's probably, he's just, oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. I don't know anybody who's not busy. I don't know anybody who's not busy. And perhaps they were just content to let others do the kingdom work. Certainly that explains much of today's consumer Christianity. People just coming in, consumers of religious goods and services, just come and go, come and go, throw a few shekels in the offering box, everywhere offering plate when it comes by every once in a while. That is not the church that Jesus designed. 
That is not what his vision was. He envisioned gifted people who has gifts, everybody, gifted people using their gifts, helping one another, serving one another, and helping to grow the kingdom of God. It's possible that he was jealous that he got less opportunity. Oh, one? I get one talent? Oh, forget it. Forget it. Not realizing that it was a test. Will he be faithful with the responsibility that he's been given? Again, young people, can your boss trust you with a little? If your boss can't trust you with a little, why would your boss be so foolish to trust you with a lot? They would have it coming. You have to say, what were you, what were you thinking when you did that? Perhaps like many people, this guy was just sitting around waiting to be told what to do. And, that, and thinking that's godly. Well, I'm just waiting. Just waiting on the Lord. That's it. Just waiting. Instead of asking what needs to be done, or instead of trying to figure it out and then asking, hey, am I barking up the right tree or am I really kooky? Verse 19. After a long time. Now, there's a lot of stuff just in verse 19. A lot. The master was gone a long time. Some of us think about the, let's take the five-talent guy. Some of us think about the five-talent guy and we think, that guy, man, everything he touches turns to gold. You know, that was me in the business world. Church world, everything breaks. Right? But he was gone a long time. We think that because he turned five into five more, that everything went great for him the whole time. How do you know that? How do you know he didn't lose some of it and then gained it back? Way back in the day, uh, I, was, it was in our, I was in our large uh, customer service office, and I was sending a fax to someone. It was over in the far corner, and one of our drivers comes in and, and says to the office manager, I would really love to have Jim's money. He didn't know I was there. And she goes, you'd love to have, you'd love to have what I've seen him lose. <laughs> So we just assume, oh, it comes easy to some people. We don't know that. We don't know that. He was gone a long time. The thing is, after a long time, it's easy to get sloppy, isn't it? It's easy to lose interest, isn't it? That's why some of the, the much older than me people in this church who've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, they're like, oh, we're learning so much here. We're so thankful for you, Pastor Jim. I'm like, you're what I want to be. What are you thankful for me for, man? I want to still be following the Lord with everything I have when I'm your age. I want to be full of the joy of the Lord and the energy of the Lord. So after a long time, the Lord, some versions say master of those servants, came and settled accounts with them. And this is the real reality that a lot of people don't really want to talk about. God will hold us accountable for our use of our gifts. He will. He's going to hold us all accountable for the use of our gifts. Verse 20. So he had received five talents. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. What is that? That is the grace of God. That is what God did. God said, here, here you go. Five talents. 
Five talents. Do something with it. He says, look, I've gained five more talents besides them. What is that? That is human responsibility. That is, I took what you gave me, and I gave it my best effort that I could give with it. I operate at the capacity that you gave me, God, to be able to do this. His Lord said to him, verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. What does that tell us? That tells us he's crazy rich. He's giving these guys millions and go, yeah, you're faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Some of your versions say you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And then look what he says next. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You might want to circle that word joy in your Bible. Verse 22 and 23 sounds almost exactly the same. He also who had received two talents. So this is the guy who got less came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the, you might want to circle it. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So notice both these servants are called good and faithful. Good. They were good. They were men of character. Faithful. They were men of diligence. Both were trustworthy when the Lord was away. Both were trustworthy when the boss was away. Both were devoted when the Lord was away to the Lord's work. And it's funny thing that I look at a guy who can take $5 million and turn it into $10 million. And I'm thinking, that's a dude, man. That's a guy who understands business. That's a guy who understands, you know, the, the way God wants things to operate. And I think we're supposed to see this guy who's so successful with really a kid's joy on his face. Like, okay, man, look, look, dad, you, you gave me five, man. But, but look, I have gained five more talents beside them. Like, he's thrilled. Like, mommy, look at the picture I drew for you. Like, hang it on the refrigerator. You're like, Picasso, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I was with my grandson, and we were drawing pictures together. He's one and a half. He's a better artist than me already. But so we were drawing pictures together. So we hung them on my daughter's refrigerator. <laughs> and I said, we did artwork while you were waiting. She goes, oh, good. I said, we took the liberty to hang them on your refrigerator, too. And so there, I think we're supposed to see the joy on the servant's face as he shows the Lord the fruit of his labor. And notice the guy who had five. He, notice the Lord's response. Well done. Excellent job. Man, don't you want to hear that? Don't you want to hear that from God? I want to hear that from God with every fiber of my being. And I want you to hear it from God with every fiber of my being. Man. And I know you want to hear it. I know you do. And we're going to have to cross a couple bridges. In the next few minutes. Also, the two-talent guy, he comes up. Jesus doesn't say to him, you know, he made five. You only brought back two. You're three short. He doesn't say that to him. What does he say? Great job. You're the man. You're the man. I see, you don't think Jesus talks like that. It says of Jesus that the common people heard him gladly. He, he talked in normal English, right? My wife always says to me, you use such slang, you're a very educated man. 
I always go, and the common people heard him gladly. <laughs> you know? Oh, Lord, look. <laughs> right? That's like, that's baloney. Really? So he's all excited. Great job, man. Out of sight. I'm so happy with what you've done. With the, I, I gave you two. You doubled it, man. You did great. You did great. See, some of you never think God talks like that, do you? You never think he's happy with you. See, because we, the reason the Lord's happy, because it's not about the quantity or the results. It's about the faithful responsibility with which we were given. With the task we were given, the talents we were given. That's what the Lord judges us on. I'm so thankful here for the servants that we have at this church here that we don't have to watch them at all. I mean, man, they are an automatic pilot. They come in, they show up. There's, they're, they're more dependable than the sun coming up. They serve, they clean up after themselves, they keep track of their own inventory, they don't let stuff run out. If they can't come, they find someone to sub for them. And, and I, man, you know, I remember reading before I became a pastor that most people, most guys leave the ministry because of discouragement. Now, I'm not a person who's typically prone to that, that certainly not depression. I know a lot of people are, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it to brag. It's just the way God has wired me. And I'm um, probably all those years of getting beaten up in the trucking company. I'm like, well, whatever. Um, but, but, but I understand the discouragement thing. I, I talk with so many guys, and they're like, man, we're spending so much time on doing stuff that we should not be doing, that other people could do and, and in fact, do better. And I am so thankful. If you are one of the doers here in this church, I am so thankful for you. And you might be like, well, you're not running up to me every two seconds thanking me. You know why? Because I want you to experience the Lord saying to you, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to blow that for you here. That's why sometimes you guys come up to me after the service, you go, that was a great sermon. And I changed the subject. Because I, I, I want the accolades of God, at least that I tried the best that I could with the abilities that he gave me. You see, such people, instead of looking for thanks and praise, their attitude is what Jesus said it should be, Luke 17, 10. He said, so likewise you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable. Some versions say unworthy servants. We have done or we have only done what was our duty to do. Like, you don't need to, listen, I'm a servant of God, man. You don't need to thank me for that. That's why a lot of people are. I love those people. I serve God, man. You don't need to thank me. You don't. I do it for him because of what he did for me. And the key word here seems to be the word faithful. And after they get our praise from the Lord, did you notice what the reward was? He says, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you over many things. The reward is not a vacation. The reward for faithfulness is more work, is more responsibility, is more opportunity. I love this. We, we give it our all with the gifts that God has given to us. And the Lord is pleased because of our faithfulness. Because that's what the Lord values. And then he gives you more opportunity. But, he, but even more so, he gives us a promise of sharing 
in what he says here, entering into the joy of your Lord. He says, just the, because you're pouring it out for me, I'm going to pour out my joy to you. I'm going to do it in this life, and I'm going to super do it in the next life. That you're going to experience the joy of, of living in my presence. You know, I think sometimes we sort of live in this feeling sorrow for ourselves, church in America right now. And I think we forget how important it is that one of God's biggest goals for the Christian's life, if not the biggest, is his joy. He wants you and I to experience his joy. He knows what's best for us, and he knows how to get it for us. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, again, we're glad that you're here. You, you may not think that at all. You may think, no, no, God's out to ruin my life. He doesn't want me to have any fun. He doesn't want me to be who I'm going to be or who I want to be. Wrong. No, no, God wants you to experience his joy. The Lord wants you to trust Jesus and get him and experience his joy. Verse 24, then he had received the one talent came and said, Lord, so he starts off polite. Remember, this is the guy who buried it. And here comes the blame shifting. Here it comes. You ready? It's what a lot of people do and the excuses. I knew you to be a hard man. <laughs> Did he just call Jesus a hard man? Another, another version says, I know you to be a difficult man. Again, I want to speak to you today if you're not a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I know you think he's a hard man. You're wrong. You are wrong. You're dead wrong. I don't, I'm not going to be that emphatic about that many things, but about that one, I will be. You are dead wrong. He's not hard. He's not difficult. He is loving. He is kind. He is self-giving. And you won't know that until you put your trust in him. You're going to have to trust him first before you're going to experience that. He says, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Here's your thing. You can have it back one for one. Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, I'm sorry I'm so hard. That's not what it says up on the screen. I must have a different version. Uh, oh, that's cool, bro. No, look at what Jesus says. You wicked and lazy servant. This is what some people say. Not my Jesus. He would never talk like that. To which I always go, you're right. He wouldn't because he doesn't exist. <laughs> Yeah, that he, that's what he just said. That's what he just said. You wicked and lazy servant. That's strong language. And the Bible has a lot of strong language about being lazy. It uses the word sloth or being slothful or being a sluggard. You know, like those little sluggy bugs when it rains, 
like crawling across the driveway. You're like, Ugh. you know, people are like, why did, just imagine some kid going, why did, Daddy, why did God invent those ugly sluggy bugs? And, his, and some smart father going, so we would know what we look like to God when we're lazy. <laughs> Sluggard. You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You know, that's actually true. Do you know that's actually the, how the gospel works? We scatter the seed to people of the word of God, and the Lord reaps. It's the Lord's harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. Verse 27, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers... At my coming, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Now, similar to last week, we have someone sitting among what looks to be God's people who is really not one of God's people. Had someone after the last service come up to me and say, I know I'm that guy. And I said, you know what, man? I am so glad you know you're that guy. Better to be that guy and know it and want to change it than to not think you're that guy and think you're fine. Oh, I go to church every Sunday. I'm I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. Just ask Jesus. You wicked and lazy servant. So he looked like a servant of the Lord, but he was not. And he has the nerve to blame the Lord for his lack of service. You know we all do that, don't you? We all do that. We all want to serve God. But yet sometimes we just don't want to. It's been that way since the beginning. God walks up to Adam and says, yo, Adam, what's the deal? And he goes, hey, don't talk to me. It's the wife you gave me. Well, we blame, always blame somebody else. How many Christians say the same thing about their boss, their clients? Oh, they're, they're, it's because they're difficult. I don't know about you, but all the clients I had in the years in the business world, man, the more difficult they were, the harder I worked. The more I produced, not the less I produced. And Jesus says to the servant, you're wicked and you're lazy. Why? Because you think the worst of me, you lack initiative, you, di- you do the bare minimum, and you're more than willing to leave the work for others. The word lazy literally means shrinking or hesitating. And a life run by fear, I know this is difficult, but a life run by fear or self-serving is not the life of faith. Please listen up very carefully. My dear friends, some of you are so gifted, but the problem is is that you are afraid to fail. But if you are afraid to fail, that will limit your ability to succeed. You know, they say for every 99 people who can handle failure, there's only one who can handle success. Be much more afraid of success than failure. Gifts are great. 
gifts from God are great, but, but they're sinful when they're not used. When you don't use your gift, we're cheated. We're cheated. I realize that if you play it safe, there's less of a chance that you're going to get hurt, but there's also less of a chance that you're going to make a difference. If you are not serving in our area of giftedness, it's often the case that someone else without the gift is covering for you. And that's not good for anybody. But notice he uses the blame-shifting God talk to try and cover his laziness, his rebellion, and his disregard for authority. You know, it's an interesting thing. I, I, with the hundreds of clients I've had over the years... You watch television, and then you, you talk to people in the business world, and you get two very different stories. For years, you hear, well, there's no jobs out there. And then you talk to employers. They say there's no workers out there. So somehow, we're going to have to come to something here. And you talk to a lot of bosses, and they'll say that you can't find people who are willing to do what needs to be done. People only want to do what they want to do. And then when you talk to them about it, their attitude is, listen, you're lucky I'm here. You're lucky I'm here. And you can blame your boss all you want or your clients all you want, but you shouldn't until you can honestly say you are faithful in your work and that you are, you are honestly doing what is expected of you. That you could stand before God and you could say, I gave it my all in everything I had. This man is blind to the fact that being, being irresponsible and unaccountable demonstrates a lack of love for the Lord. He pretends to be a servant. He pretends to be a true follower of Jesus, but he's no servant. In fact, we're going to see in a second that he's not even a Christian. Now, here's the reality. As a preacher, I would have loved to just end at the first two guys. Send everybody home happy. Yeah, we love Pastor Jim, man. So encouraging. Why is this second part here? Why is this last part here? Because there's so many people like this. That's why. And today you can change it. Today you can change it. Maybe you're sitting here and say, I can't even get around. You know what? Please, please. Purpose in your heart, you will pray for this church for 15 minutes every single day until God takes your breath away. Now you say, well, well, where's the grace, Pastor Jim? Where's the grace? For a follower of Jesus, it's important to know that the grace of God does not excuse irresponsibility. That's cheap grace. The grace of God does not excuse irresponsibility. Why? Because the grace of God makes us responsible. That's part of what it does. That's because when Jesus saves us from our sins, he also saves us into his service. Titus 2.14 says this, talking of Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's just not a once in a while thing. This is the way we live. This is the Christian life. 
We live our life for another who gave his life for us. Verse 28, Jesus says, So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Take the, ta- the one talent from Mr. Irresponsible and give it to the, to the guy who, who now is Mr. Responsible. Now he's got ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will be given abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken. And cast the unprofitable servant, some versions say worthless, some say good for nothing, into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is that imagery of? That's imagery of hell. This guy was sitting in the middle of the congregation. Don't miss it. He was one of the farmhands. He looked like one of the people. Don't miss it. It's like the bridesmaids, remember? Jesus said, the door was shut. Seeing his irresponsibility, his devotion to himself, his lack of of desire to invest his time and energy to see his talents grow, Jesus takes it from him and he gives it to another. Once again, I want to remind you again, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a gift. Some of you have multitudes of gifts. Perhaps today is the day you got to dig it up. Maybe you know what it is. Maybe you got burnt somewhere else before. I understand that. But maybe you got to dig that gift up. And maybe it's time to dig it up and polish it off and start to use it again. Some of you, you need to discover your gift. You don't know what it is. You're never going to know unless you take a chance. You know, just, just get involved somewhere. Maybe you need to just get involved here by serving. Trust me, the people who are with you a short time will be able to tell you what your gift is. Join a community group in the fall. You'll be with people a short time. They'll be able to tell you what your gift is. You see, we're not saved because we serve. We serve because we're saved. It is a sign of our salvation, but it's not church. It's, it's everywhere we go. And today, Jesus offers every single one of us another chance. Another chance. Maybe it's actual money. Maybe you're spending all your money on yourself instead of investing some of it in the kingdom of God. You know, you invest money. You want a return on investment when you invest money. God says, I'm going to give you, I will be no man's debtor. I will give you an incredible return on your investment. This man has committed the sin of omission. What does that mean? He, commission, you commit something. Omission is you omit something. He omitted something God wanted him to do. Bible scholar William Hendrickson put it this way. He thought he was digging a hole for the money, but he was really digging a hole for himself. And as a result, he receives no praise from the Lord, no more responsibility, no entrance into the joy of the Lord. All that because his potential came to a tragic end because he wouldn't use it. So this man was cast into hell. Was it because of his poor handling of money? No, it's because he never really put his trust in the Lord. It's because he never, he never really loved the Lord. 
And here he appears to be unfaithful, but the reality is, is that he was faithless. He never really did trust his master, he, and he demonstrates it in his lack of use of the talent for the kingdom of God. My dear friends, Jesus doesn't want you to choose hell over heaven. He wants to, you to choose joy. He wants to give you his joy. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want that, you can get that today. Simply turn to God. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Come up and pray with somebody after the service. Experience the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Hebrews chapter 12 says something about Jesus. Very interesting. says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And then it goes on to say, despising the shame. But I want to think about just for a second, the joy for the joy that was set before him. Lots of debate on what the joy is. What's the what is the joy? Most people, because we're self-centered Americans, we think, well, it was me. Right. But are we so sure that's only what it was? What about the joy of pleasing his father? What about the joy of obeying his father? To be able to say, look, look, Father, look at all I brought with me, right? Isn't that what we want to be able to say to God, Calvary Chapel? Don't we want to be able to say, look, look at how many people we brought with us. Not phony Christians, real ones. That's what we want to say. Perhaps it was also to be seated, the joy for Jesus was to be seated at the right hand of God. No longer a carpenter from Nazareth walking around in one place in one set in time, but back again, the eternal reigning king of the cosmos. And perhaps greatest of all for the joy set before him to be back in the presence of the joy of his father. Always with him forever. You see, that's the joy Jesus has for all of us. That's the joy Jesus wants for all of us. And my prayer for all of us is that we would be full of joy and for joy, motivated by grace to be busy, very busy, while we're all waiting for Jesus. Let's pray.